Good evening, and welcome to yet another riveting episode of Seeing Red. As always, I'm your host, Joseph Amanzada, here to bring you some spicy hot takes from directly from the mouths of the people who follow this dumpster fire of a hockey team. This week, I am joined by uh, Thomas Bobbin. Uh, Thomas is a friend of a friend of a friend who's become just a friend, uh, and now is eager to come on here and, and have his two cents, his two turrets on the current status of the Flames. Uh, Thomas, how's it going? It's going well, Joe. Thanks for having me. I don't think I've ever been on a podcast before, but uh, what better time than when the Flames are in rock bottom to come on and, uh, and chat some hockey? That's right. And you know what? You already sound like a natural. You're already making quips. So like, I didn't even have to put you through an orientation or anything. You're kind of nailing it. Um, <laughs> I used to volunteer at a yoga studio and they used to say that the best time to start yoga was 20 years ago, and the second best time is today. So there you go. You picked a good time to start podcasting. Um, and also, the man behind the glass, the guy pulling all the strings, um, my partner in crime right now, uh, and hopefully for the foreseeable future, uh, Cody Dickinson. How's it going? Hello. How are we doing? Good. How are you? Doing good. Hoping yeah. the Oilers start losing here, and we can have some fun. What's the what's the status of that game currently? Uh, zero zero still. Okay, Ten minutes into the first. That's good. We, you know what? I I told myself before we started recording today that I would not mention any Oilers since we've been doing that kind of plenty lately. And so I broke if... that in the first two minutes of the episode. <laughs> Great. Yeah, oh. probably should have mentioned that in the uh, pre-production meeting, but um, hey, that's fine. My fault. All good. All good. Uh, yeah, you can go back to being doing producer stuff and let the pros handle the podcasting. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Now we can hop right into it. Uh, the Flames just wrapped up a 1-1-1 uh, three-game road swing through Eastern Canada. Of course, going to the center of the universe in Toronto first, following it up with a 4-1 shellacking in the nation's capital, and then a gutsy, gutsy 2-1 victory over a rebuilding Montreal Canadiens team. So I figure it's probably best to start chronologically, and let's start with the Friday game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, a lot of hype coming into this game um, because the Flames were kind of starting to sputter a little bit again. Uh, but actually, no, they beat Nashville, didn't they? They won the two prior, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. They beat Nashville. And then they went to Toronto, and that was the big Bradtree Living Bowl. Uh so I wanted to kind of start off before the game even started and, and bring up the whole, how are you going to remember Brad Tree Living as, as a GM? Because he his fingerprints are all over this roster, and I would have loved for this game to be a little bit more like two heavyweights meeting. Um, but on paper, the Leafs are obviously much better positioned to walk away with two points than the Flames are. And certainly the game kind of reflected that through the first two periods um, with a spirited comeback from the Flames falling just short in the shootout. Uh, but with all that said, uh, how did you think... Well, let's start off with Brad. So let's let's go there. So Brad's tenure as a GM, give it a, give it a letter grade. I'll give it a B plus. I, um, speaking about the Friday game, I was surprised we didn't see Brad on the Sportsnet broadcast at any time during... We, we got some Connie shots but I, I was expecting to see tree living a little more um i think in general i think people are going to look back on you know the tree living flames as as kind of a disappointment um they never really had the playoff success that i think you know everyone wanted and that 
they were building towards. And then everyone now who are, who are Flames fans following the team are going to be remember the the bad contracts we're saddled with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general, I, he did a really good job. I think he came in at the perfect time, a time kind of similar to now where the team was uh, just starting a rebuild. I think they were one year into it. And, uh, and I think he, he righted the ship. Um, he, he inherited Goudreau, he inherited Monaghan. But I think in general, he built a team that every year um, was competitive. There were some years they missed the playoffs, and I know there was those couple of years where they went back and forth. But um, I think he had some really savvy coaching hires. I thought Galtzen was a, was a really good hire. Uh, not, not so much Peters, but I, I thought whether it was him or, or ownership who, who brought in Daryl, I think. I think Daryl was a good coach as well, and and they fell short. But there's only so much you can do. I, I think they did have some good teams in there that that fell short for for reasons that were, that were not necessarily his fault. I think the goaltending goal fell apart some years. The team just didn't, you know, had some tough matchups and and was never the best team. But um, I think in general, it was a fun ten years. It was an exciting ten years, and uh, and I, I give him a B plus. I think I think he was a pretty good GM and. And I, I would have liked to see him stay, but um, I think he's he's in a better spot now. And and, and I That's think the team needs a rebuild as well a little bit. So. Really, really uh, a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to sink my teeth into. Um, you already said the R word, which I think we're gonna get back we're gonna get back into uh, a little bit later on in the show. Um, but for me, I actually thought his coaching hires uh, were kind of the inverse. Like Bill Peters is obviously not the best human being in the history of the world. Far from it. Uh, but he was effective, and he got the team playing well. He was grossly outcoached in that playoff series against the Avalanche, but I thought he had some good regular season success. Glenn Gulliton, I thought, um, was probably the chair might have been a little bit too big for him, you know, uh, might have been off a little bit more than he could chew. And certainly I think that's reflected with the fact that he's still just an assistant coach on the Oilers, where it's like, you know, I think you could put myself or Thomas or Cody, and all of us could basically teach that power play to be clipping at a 25-30% uh, you know, uh, rate of success. And then in terms of my memories of Bradtree Living, I agree. I think he actually drafted quite like relatively well because um, drafting is so inexact and, and such a dart throw, and it, it's hard to have a very, very high success rate, but I feel like a lot of the Brad draft picks um did end up panning out and i thought he was a great wheeler dealer i always loved how much of a riverboat gambler he was in terms of the trade market he was always in on everybody which i personally appreciated i feel like there's some gms that are a little bit uh gun shy of shoving the chips in the middle and going to get their dude um brad was certainly never uh you could never accuse him of, of being one of those guys where my issue is with brad uh and I guess we still kind of see the, the the remnants of that, is the dude just could not navigate free agency. And for all the like good contracts he put out, like Rasmus Anderson's last deal, um, Michael Backlund got signed to that $5 million deal after like his Selkie uh, campaign. And um, I don't know, I can't think of another like particularly good one, but... There were some good ones. Uh, I didn't mind like the Froleek one. I think he he was a good player for quite a few years. Um, so the Froleek few- deal is the reason why we couldn't get Matthew done. We didn't want to give up on Froleek, so we bridged Matthew, and that's why he is not currently the Calgary Flames captain. And so that, to me, is kind of unforgivable. Uh, I, and then, I, of course... I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. My, my like only rebuttal to that is is I don't know if Matthew wanted to sign long term. I, I, I 
I think there was part of him that probably set up that bridge deal to do exactly what he did. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think people look back now and say, like, I, I think Matt is a little revisionist in saying that, oh, yeah, I, I really did want to sign a long-term deal back then. I think it's easy mm -hmm. to say now. I'm, I, I do think totally. the probably would have gotten that done if he wanted. Um, but but keep going. I, I no, that's 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 a fair piece of of uh, candor, I guess, because I you know I I, I took it at face value because I agree. Like it, it probably is a little revisionist history for Matthew. Like Matthew can't come out out outwardly and be like, I didn't want to sign in Calgary. That's why they bridged me. Mm -hmm. But um, I I fully can't see a scenario where they would have been like. Hey Matthew, would you like a long-term deal? And he would be like, "No, bridge me." You know? Yeah, I, I just mean over the course of two years, he, they were probably offering him a lot more of a long-term deal. Like he probably got the exact contract offer he wanted from the Flames, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, and and he said he didn't want it. Uh, he said he said he wanted out. So. Yeah, I, I take your point. I, I think there's going to be a little gray area there. We'll, we're, we'll never really know for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, I, I agree. I think in, in general, True Living, a lot of his free agent swings, a lot of them missed. There was the Brower one. There was the Neal one. Um, yeah. And then we kind of have a couple on the on the roster right now um, that I, I, I th I've seen labeled as panic moves. I. I think it's a little bit unfair. Like I, I do think they were panic moves for sure because they just he'd seen what happened to to Goudreau and Kachuk. And but I, I do I, I again think that's a little um, revisionist to say that um, they were horrible signings at the time. I think people were excited about the team coming into oh, yeah. last season. Um, Absolutely. And, and and yeah, like signing those guys at that age to that number is never really a good idea, but it, it still happens and, and teams are able to deal as long as, as long as the team performs. Um, it's just when the team doesn't perform, that's when, you know, the criticism comes in. Yeah. I would just say, um, I wouldn't call them panic moves either. I would call them desperation moves, uh, because I think he was well aware that he was in the last year of his deal and, you know, whether it's his fault or the org's fault or, Calgary is too cold or the arena is too old or, or whatever, what have you. The fact of the matter is like Matthew Kachuk is a unicorn. He's one of one and he chose to find greener grass elsewhere. And Johnny Gaudreau is, you know, like I bet you, if you ask him even still, like he, if, if Johnny Gaudreau, for whatever reason, got inducted into the hall of very good. And there was like a hall of very good ceremony. And he, he had to like unveil his plaque it would be in a Calgary Flames uniform, right? Like he, he was a heart and soul homegrown guy, albeit from the previous regime, like Jay Feaster, I'm pretty sure drafted him. Um, but he was a dude that was beloved by the city and he chose to leave as well. Um, so after all of that, if you're Bradtree living and you're looking for job security and you're looking to get like re-signed by the org to, you know, take on another five, 10 years, you have to make a splash and you got to keep this team competitive, especially knowing with what the owner values, which is, gate revenue from two playoff games a year uh at the very minimum so yeah. uh i think it was more desperation than panic uh and you know for me i i would give him a b plus as well i think that's very fair the team was you know decently competitive my friends and i like the like our group chat cody like we all week have been like take me back to 21 22 
Like this roster is unrecognizable from the team that won around against the stars. Uh, and you know, we'll always have game one in the second round. What a fucking romp that was nine, six, uh, but then ultimately fell apart at the seams for reasons, you know, for puck luck reasons, for whatever. Uh, and that team was better than how it performed. But like he put together a, a decent team. He was building something. And then right as we were starting to build some momentum, everybody pulled the shoot. So that's not necessarily a fault of his. Um, but at the end of the day, the guy who manages the contracts has to wear it. I'm sure there's other things be in there but that's how you get evaluated as a gm so now we play some hockey uh and i don't know i i I guess for me i think the most encouraging thing from that flames leafs game was the fact that the flames showed some fight they showed some give a fuck that was something i was very um I don't know, uh, critical of in the beginning of the year was there is certainly a few nights where they really seem to be dragging their feet and taking a couple nights off. And uh, I feel like that was not the case against Toronto. I feel like Toronto is just a, a pretty good team and kind of had them on the ropes. And it was encouraging to see them kind of claw back and, and walk away with a point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I um, It was an exciting game. Just, I think, uh, out of the road trip. Yeah, it was the absolutely. One had the eyes glued to it the most. Um, I, I think Calgary probably deserved to lose that in regulation. I think they got a bit lucky uh, with with Toronto's goaltending. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I was actually most encouraged by overtime. I thought they really played with jump, which we we didn't see much at, at all of last year. Um, so I thought Toronto, you know, probably should have won that one in regulation. Um, Calgary probably should have won it in overtime. Um, and then then the shootout. Uh, we know how those go <laughs> as flames. It's a crap shoot. But yeah, but yeah. in general, that was I think that was Friday night. That was a that was an entertaining watch, which uh, I think are going to be few and far between this year. But if we get a couple of them, it's still worth tuning in for, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. And then um, the Sunday game against those no, Saturday against the Senators. Uh, so for me, that was one that they kind of lost all control of the golf course in the third period. It is what it is. It's a road game, second of a back-to-back. Ottawa had just beaten the wheels off the Leafs two nights prior, so they were kind of feeling themselves a little bit. A little bit of a trap for them, uh, and you're always going to have a stinker like that on the road, so I don't blame them too, too much for it, especially in the wake of Nikita Zadorov, you know, shortly after taking a shower, uh, basically coming out and saying that he wants out of Calgary via his agent. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the uh, press conference that Nikita had Friday post game leading up to the Senators game um, about his agent's comments, but he basically was like, "Yep, I love uh, like just the classic lip service that we've heard a million times before. I love Calgary. I want to be part of the solution. My family loves it here. I want to raise a family here, but in terms of contracts, like that's a business, and I stand with my agent because he has my best interest in mind." Yeah, I, d- I did see that um, interview. I think he did. It was. Um, I know this is like a fans podcast. We're not re- recording or anything. From a pa- fans perspective, I uh, Zadora has been one of the guys who's actually kind of grown on me the last couple of years. I wasn't oh, a huge fan him. when we brought him in. Um, yeah, but every year he just he seemed to get better. Um, ironically, I think after the comments, I thought that Ottawa game was maybe his worst of the season. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Couple, yeah, he had a couple tough plays that night. Um, probably when there were more eyes on him. Um, 
Yeah, I think in general, I, I don't know if he'll be the last one we see uh, out of the UFAs because it seems like half the team is UFAs this year. And and I, I, I do understand from uh, from his perspective, I, I think um, it's a bit interesting, like demanding a trade in uh, a UFA year. I feel like that's a little less common because you can kind of just tell management that. And if they yeah, want you're going to get traded anyway, dude. <laughs> yeah, you don't necessarily need to have your agent, you know, come out on on twitter and and all that i i think what he's probably wanting is a trade where he can maybe get more minutes more points so he has a better case in in free agency um i think that's tough i think that that's kind of pulling the like for a guy who kind of says he's a team guy it's pretty early in the year to be doing that (laughs) yeah um so so that was that was a little disappointing to see um but you, you know ultimately he's he's allowed to do it and uh and we'll see what comes of it. I, I don't think like I don't think Conroy is going to be like, oh, we need him out of here unless you know there's locker room things going on. I think in general they'll they'll continue playing him, and if if they get an offer they like, they'll bite. Totally. Um, and they've said as much. Conroy's like, yeah, I know you want this to be taken care of quickly, but we're going to take our time with this and make sure that we get the best deal for it. Um, which actually leads me to kind of the next thing I want to bring up, where uh, I had a friend of mine who. Classic, like classic Leafs guy, by the by, right? Text me is like, what is it? What is uh, what's the deal with this Zadorov guy? You know, what can what can you tell me about him? And I'm like, that's a like amazing. Like you haven't watched Nikita Zadorov not one time because he was playing in Colorado and playing in Calgary and Chicago, and those are all West Coast teams or Western Conference teams, and you can't be bothered because all you care about is the Leafs. Fair enough. <laughs> I will also say, Julian, if you're listening. Uh, I understand that you live in the UK, so it might be tough. But still, you don't get a you don't get a pass for that. Um, so uh, I was going to ask you, you know, if you're general manager Craig Conroy, general manager Thomas Bobbin, general manager Big T, sorry, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, what is the sales pitch on Nikita Zadorov? Because I kind of have mine. But if you were trying to sell him to the Leafs, I mean, that's a bad example because Brad already knows everything about him. In fact, he traded a third to get him, which I think is actually one of his more shrewd moves because I've liked what Nikita's brought to this team uh, by and large. But if you're trying to sell Nikita Zadorov, what are you expecting to get back and how do you spin him that way? I think you're probably looking for futures. I, I saw like a Twitter thread going around today like speculating at a Zadorov for... Klingberg deal. I'm not sure what that accomplishes if you're oh my God. claims. I, I I think that would be a tough one. I, th- I think you're looking for draft picks. Um, any yeah. maybe not blue chips, but any like B prospects or something. You're probably listening. Um, I think your sales pitch for him is that you don't really need much of a sales pitch. He kind of I, I think a lot of GMs in the league are still kind of old school and and they like you know a six seven defenseman with with size who who hits I, I i don't think that's yeah too hard to sell and and to his credit i i think you know maybe earlier in his career he was he was pretty lackadaisical with the puck and would get beat wide and, and you just don't see that anymore from him he he's actually pretty responsible um so i i, I think that teams are going to be interested i just I don't know if you're necessarily getting the first round pick in a prospect that you might for oh. other you know coveted free agents I don't think you're getting a first round pick for Nikita Zadorov. No. Like I, I. So here's my pitch. Uh, Nikita Zadorov is toolsy. You know, Nikita Zadorov. That toolbox is stacked. You want six foot six seven days a week? Check. You want skates like the wind? 
Check. You want accurate shot? Guy scored 14 goals last year. Check. You want to talk, loves to activate the D and join the rush? Check. The problem with Nikita is actually, you know, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Contradictory to your point is I actually don't think he's the most responsible guy. In fact, I think he's very much like a riverboat gambler who sometimes can make some boneheaded errors in the interest, obviously, of doing well for the team. But he's a guy that uh, can be a little lackadaisical in his own end or or make some some gambles that aren't exactly, um, you know, well advised or or uh, the most optimal gambles to take at, at whatever given moment. So um, that's what I would be spin, uh, spinning somebody on. It's like, if you think you can fix Nikita Zadorov, then he can be like, honestly, with that tool belt, like one of the best D-men in the league. Uh, ha- he was a first round pick for Christ's sake, right? Like he, he's got the pedigree. And I think the problem with Nikita is he fucking knows that, right? Like yeah. Nikita's going to be on his fifth team pretty quick. Co- pretty quick here um so he clearly doesn't have a long shelf life uh whether that's you know because he's whatever rubbing people the wrong way in the the locker room or it's just been happenstance you know it's my word versus yours but i think there might be a trend here um yeah especially with the way he kind of has forced his way out of calgary i know he's still Mm -hmm. suiting up for us but it's clear that he's not part of the long-term plan so uh i would say again every tool but you got to rein in this wild stallion somehow. And if you think you're the team to do it, it'll cost you for me, at least the third round pick we gave up to get him. Right. And probably a premium on that. Like I would even be trying to get like a second or if we could spin like a Toffoli deal where it's like, we get like middling roster player reclamation project could be something, could be nothing, but he can slot in and play right away. Uh, And like a second or third, I think that would, that would be an easy one for me. Yeah. I, I can see that. I, um, I I know there's a lot of buzz about Toronto being interested, and I, I feel especially with Toronto media, like where there's smoke, there's fire. I, I I'd be interested in what a Conroy Tree Living deal looks like, like in Conroy's totally. first year, um, for sure. Just because I I think if you're Tree Living, you I, I was saying this to Danielle earlier, but I, I think you have a lot to lose if you're Tree Living, um, your first year in Toronto if you give up a, a lot of assets for. You know, let's say Zadorov blows game one of a playoff series for them or something like that, which is totally in the realm of possibility. I, I think you just have Absolutely. a lot to lose, like over overpaying for a guy on your old team. Um, that being said, I, there's there's obviously something to it, so so we'll stay tuned. But yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is like Brad's already traded for him. Like you know, Brad's a fan, so mm-hmm. and again, never afraid to go get his guy if he wants his guy. So. It's a hand and glove fit. Plus, there's uh, you know, that rumor that like some Leafs guy was like, "Wow, you're exactly what we need." And I'm like, "When has that ever been said on a hockey ice surface ever in the history of ever? Like, never. That's happened. So, yeah. it's certainly not Bertuzzi after he put him on his keister, right? Like, who's gonna say that? Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, the last note on the Leafs game, I'll I'll say is. Uh, a little bit jarring to watch Mark Giordano and Michael Backlund jawing back and forth at each other. Uh, it actually took me back to when I saw Giordano and Aginla kind of bickering, and I was like, "This is like your mom's new boyfriend, like fighting with like your dad." Yeah, you know. And I was just so uncomfortable. And I was at I, that I game, and they wanted to fight, right? And then the the linesman broke them. Yeah, up. yeah, that's right. They were gonna throw down, and then yeah. so here's the thing. If it's Gio and Aginla, I'm like, those are two guys that can absolutely take care of themselves. Like, let him go. 
But I'm glad that Mark Giordano did not have to lay the smack down on Michael Backlund because we all know that's how that would have gone. Uh, because we just saw Mark Giordano be the oldest Leaf in history to get a fighting major, and he beat the wheels off Dakota Joshua. So, oh yeah, I'm I glad it, fight. I didn't know he's the oldest Leaf ever. Wow. <laughs> yeah, oldest Leaf to ever get in a fighting major. Actually, passed uh, Miles quotation marks Tim Horton. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, good job, Gio. That's how bad the Leafs are. The guy who sells donuts is the last guy to get into a fight at the ripe old age of 40. Anyways, well, Zadorov, uh, lastly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pardon me? Zadorov can jump in and help help Gio once they trade for him. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I will say um, that night when the Stars played the Flames last week, around last week, um, I was talking about how Jamie Benn might be one of the toughest customers in the league because my lasting memory of him was in that playoff series, Nikita Zadorov like jawing at him and being like, let's go. And James or and Jamie Benn being like, dude, I already put you in your place like three times when you played for the fucking Blackhawks. Like, I don't have to do this again. And like, again, Nikita Zadorov is a tall drink of water. So um, maybe not as tough as you'd like him to be, but I think he's still quite a solid player a great addition if you are a team that think you're a contender you could do a lot worse than nikita zadorov again the low low price of a second round pick maybe uh, a b player and a prospect that might do it as well um moving on to montreal uh honestly a fun game as well low scoring uh but certainly eventful i thought it was great to see jacob markstrom stand on his head and and really put together maybe his most solid performance in recent memory, I know the dudes on the radio were talking about uh, a game he had against Minnesota last year. Actually, his lone shutout of last year was against Minnesota. But other than that, I think this is probably the best game I've seen him play in quite some time. And um, they needed all, you know, whatever, 30-something saves that he put up uh, against the Habs to walk away with that 2-1 win. Yeah, and that's good news because I think um, regardless of whether he's he's one of the guys who stays the next couple of years and... Uh, or if, or if he's one that, that they end up shipping out as well. You obviously want him to play well. It's uh, he's, he's nearing that age with goalies where you never really know what the next couple of years are going to be in store. Like I could totally see him get his game back and be, you know, a solid starter for the next couple of years, or it could also be it for him. Like he has, he's been okay to start this season, but he really struggled last year. And, and you just <laughs> never really know with goalies, regardless of what contract they're on. Yeah. Speaking of goalies, I, I think we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but Dustin Wolf's debut, uh, mm. certainly this year, not his first time in the NHL, but his first uh, time suiting up in 22, 20, or 23, 24. Um, what did you think? Uh, I didn't think it was his fault that those four pucks went in, but um, I guess my big takeaway from that before I let you go here is maybe he's not the fixer that everybody wants him to be at 21. I know I'm very much of, of the the frame of mind that you have to be delicate with goalies because they are so... It's very much like a confidence thing. It's like a once bit and twice shy, and you can get the yips pretty quick, i.e. Jake Markstrom in that series against the Oilers. Like I'm still not even sure he's recovered from that mm-hmm. uh, because you know even before this Montreal game, he was good for one bad one a night. I feel like I say it every week. It's like the Flames are starting down one nothing from minute one to minute 60 because you know jake is going to let in a squeaker of some kind um so with that said dustin wolf your time will come i'm not positive it's right now i know that probably feels like a gross over exaggeration after one start but 
I just want to temper people's expectations because there's a, a big portion of the Flames fandom that's like, get him up right now, trade Jake, trade Vladar, and just give Dustin Wolf the reins. And I'm just, I'm preaching caution is all. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think once they're, like, if they go into a rebuild, once they're out of the playoffs this year, I think we'll see a lot of him. I, I don't think he's, he's not going to, you know, get his games, get his reps. Um, I, he's a guy I cheer for because I'm kind of a smaller goalie too, and and he's he's a small You're goalie. goalie. I, yeah, yeah, not not NHL level, but um, I'll okay. play beer league for you <laughs> if you need need somebody. Um, okay, good to know. So yeah, he's a guy I cheer for. I, I'm not necessarily sold on him at being an NHL goalie yet, but I I hope he is, and and I think we'll see a lot more of him this year, regardless of of what happens with uh, regardless of how well Markstrom plays, or regardless of uh, when they trade Vladar or if they trade Vladar, I think, I think he'll get game. Thomas, I actually did not know you were a goalie. This actually opens up a whole new realm of possibilities to take this conversation because mm-hmm. uh, I like Jake is playing pretty well to the eye test. The peripheral stats and his counting stats are quite bad. Uh, and I'm wondering in your opinion, like is he going to be part of the solution or is he another dude that you should probably look at maybe flipping at the deadline or maybe in the off season to a contender or, or somebody who needs uh, a goalie that they think they can fix. I think it's tough. I think ultimately for him, I think once some of his buddies start leaving, he's going to probably want to contend. He's like anybody else where he probably realizes he's only has a couple of years left and, and wants to win a cup like anybody else. There's only so many jobs in the NHL for starting goalies though. So like, totally. is, is there one available for him? It probably depends on how he plays. Um, if not, I do think um, like we, we do, we do often see veteran goalies at the end of their career, even if their teams slumping kind of, kind of stay with that stay with that team I, I don't i i don't know if that's going to be in the plans for markstrom it probably depends from a flames perspective if wolf is the real deal or if they have anyone else in the pipeline um that they think that, can handle it but yeah yeah and actually that's uh that's gonna be my follow-up is if they do decide to move on from markstrom that would be indicative of like for me probably like a full-scale tear down down to the studs start from zero um and then at that point it's like, is that necessarily the best thing for Dustin Wolf to go out there with zero supporting cast and just get peppered um, and presumably let in a few goals every night just because, you know, that's the nature of the beast. Like you're going to be facing teams that are theoretically much better than yours. And so you're going to let in a few pucks, like even if you're the fucking best goalie on the planet. Do you Do you see a scenario where maybe that like, stunts his growth or his confidence as a result and you know might be more detrimental than if he were to come up with a flames team that is like trying to contend and would theoretically have some difference makers around him some sound defensive schemes and you know would basically be putting him in a better position to succeed might sound a bit weird but i don't think so um i i think some of the hardest years or like hardest teams to play goalie for at times can be teams that dominate you dominate the games and and cycle and play a lot of ozone time. Like I think, like Markstrom's worst year was last uh, was last year when the team was consistently out shooting other teams and 
all, you know, all it takes is one breakdown where he hasn't seen the puck in, you know, five, six minutes and, <laughs> and it's in the back of the net. Um, totally. Which we saw a lot last year. I, I don't necessarily, but, but I, I do think there is something to be said. Yeah. From a pure confidence perspective, if, you know, Wolf's rookie year, um, they give him a run and his, you know, goals against and save percentages among the worst of the league. I, I could see that maybe, you know, playing into his confidence, but um, ultimately if he's the guy, he's going to probably shine. And I, I don't think it's uncommon for, you know, a rebuilding team to have, you know, their bright spot in net. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, the last bit on Dustin Wolf here is I'm going to look very closely at the Buffalo Sabres goaltending situation. A, because I have Uka Pekalukinen, uh on my fantasy team, but also because he's spelling... Devin Levi, who's, you know, got as much pedigree as a Dustin Wolf, um, but is also kind of struggling right now on a team that is rebuilding, uh, a team that is supposed to be trying to take that next step. And he's getting peppered. He's already gotten hurt. Like, there's just a lot of things that are already kind of, you know, appearing as hurdles for this guy to, like, become the goalie that Buffalo thinks he can be. And again, I, I just I always preach caution with goalies because I just know how fragile they are, um, you know, for better or worse. So anyways, Montreal, last bit on Montreal, uh, Sean Monaghan. Good to see him healthy and skating. I actually liked his line with Brendan Gallagher and Tanner Pearson. I know I just raked my buddy Julian over the coals for never watching any Flames games, but uh, I do not watch a lot of Habs games. Uh, it's not because I don't want to. It's because TSN's like broadcasting thing is like so strict. Uh, you yeah, like, can't so watch any out-of-market stuff anyway. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, loved Sean Monaghan's game. Good to see him healthy and contributing and um, just wish him all the best. Yeah, I thought he played well last night too. It was, and it wasn't just uh, in like a minor role. He was on the power play. He was out there with an empty net. Yep, PP one. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you know when we think back of you know your earlier question about the tree living flames. Um, I, I think right after Goudreau, I think people probably look most fondly back on Monahan. You know, he was never he never turned out to be that dominant player we all wanted him to be, but he scored, and I think we, we, like everyone has a lot of great memories of you know, overtime winners and, and him and Goudreau's connection. And, and he was oh, yeah. really just classy, like, like kind of all this stuff you see from some of the new flames with, with their agents and wanting out, like you would have never seen that with Monaghan. Never. I that's why, never. I think that's why people like him so much. So. Absolutely. He is just boring Sean Monaghan. Like he's actually that meme, like that mm-hmm. joke Twitter account of boring Sean Monaghan. Like he's just steady as she goes, monotone, apparently hilarious. Like all the dudes in the locker room loved having him. Um, for me, like as a player, what I will always like tip my cap to Sean Monaghan and actually, you know, assuming that his bad health is kind of behind him and it's relatively smooth sailing from here on out. The dude just is in the right place at the right time. Every time, you know, like he's got 99 positioning. He's probably the least sexy guy to have on like your Chell 24 team because he's probably like an 85 overall. And it's like 99 awareness, like 99 discipline, like, all the shit that doesn't actually matter in the game, but in the intangible world of working in an organization, working in a team, like that's what makes Sean Monahan so valuable. And oh, ho hum, he can he can chip in a few goals too. So, yeah, happy for him, man. Really am. I'm glad it's working out for him. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that uh, the Canadians, like he he's playing a big role in the Canadians, but it's because the Canadians are bad, you know. Uh, yeah. So I think it's kind of a good scenario for him. 
And, you know, if, if they do start to pick up their socks and, and the Canadians take the next step, I hope um, for his sake that he can stick around and, and be part of that. Cause he's, he's grinding it out with them right now. You know, I don't want them to like dump him off to like some, some other dumpster team where he can toil in obscurity. I'd like him to be kind of there long-term. So happy for Sean Monaghan. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So that was the road trip. Um, one, one and one, five, eight and two. We're heading to vent. We're heading back to the crib and Vancouver's heading here. Vancouver red hot to start. Uh, they seem to score goals for fun. I have said it, uh, in my group chat and, you know, have laid a little skin down, but, uh, they're the darlings of the NHL, certainly in Canada. Um, everyone's loving what Rick Tockett's doing. Elias Pettersson is doing his thing. Quinn Hughes looks like he's going to win the Norris. Thatcher Demko looks like he's going to win the Vesna. Um, but it's November. So is this like indicative of things to come for the Vancouver Canucks? Are they finally starting to bring it all together? Are we going to see a nice little run for them uh, where they can certainly take a, a, a chance at the Pacific division and maybe make some noise in the playoffs? Or is it still too early to tell for you, Thomas Bobbin? For me, it's it's still too early to tell. I like you kind of look at some of the advanced metrics and they're they're nowhere near the top yeah. of the league. They're they're really riding. They're, they're the PDO top, team. Right? Yeah, they're the PDO team. They I mean Demko's got a, a nine fifty and he's he's playing well, but that doesn't mean they're not a playoff team. And and once you're a playoff team, um, you know, all you need Anything is a good coach and a good goalie and, and you can go on a run, right? Like I, I think we mm-hmm. do we do do a lot of analysis, uh, you know, looking at you know, the roster makeup and who's their 12th forward and 13th forward. But ultimately they do have game breakers. Like you said, they have a guy who could win the Norris. They have a guy who could win um, the Vesna and, and, and they're scoring a lot right now as well. So um, yeah, Pedersen could win the heart. Like, I don't know, man, like it's not out of the realm of quest uh, of possibility. So totally. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think they're, I think they're a good team. I don't think, th- I don't think they're as good as their record, but I, I think they'll probably, um, make the playoffs this year just just based on the hot start and then you know they have they have a good goalie now so yeah yeah you know what i've actually i i take the piss out of the oilers bros all the time put a dollar in the jar joe that one was unprovoked you, you can't blame that one on cody but uh i love to razz them about how like the canucks are further along because the canucks have a goalie Like, that's the most important fucking thing is, like, if you don't have a goalie, you're kind of hooped. And, like, do the Canucks ever have a goalie? In fact, he was so good that they're like, yo, Jake, you can go to Calgary. We really don't give a shit. We got Thatcher. We got Maggie Thatcher back there. Uh, So, yeah, I I mean, like, immediately. Um, No, no, no. But he was hurt. A year or two after they traded him over to the Flames. And yeah. and Demko and he, and yeah, like you said, Demko was hurt and not playing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Vancouver was a fucking just a mess, right? There was like who's uh who's there before Bruce Boudreaux? Was it Travis Green? I don't know, whoever it was. Yeah, that's right. Um, but they went through like two or three coaching changes since. Um, so yeah, they, they were a mess, but I mean it's nice that Rick Tockett's working out for them. Always curious with like the stern disciplinarian coach, how long it works like everybody loved Daryl um, and his dry sense of humor, his, his abruptness, his aloofness until they stopped winning. Um, and then the media turned on him, the fans turned on him, the players turned on him and everyone hated him. So let's see. And like Daryl's won two cups, mm-hmm. you know, Daryl's been to three or four cups, I think three for sure, but maybe four. 
Um, so Rick Tockett has not. Um, so that might that might you know go tits up even quicker than Daryl did. Uh, but yeah, for me, I, I I echo that sentiment. I don't think I'm quite ready to announce them as a contender. For the reasons you've stated above, they are the PDO team. They also have played a pretty easy schedule. Like they've beat up on the shitty Oilers three times. Um, they also beat the Sharks. Uh, they beat the Blues when they were stinky. Like they haven't really played anyone. Um, not that we're anyone, but they play us tomorrow. So it's going to be nice to see what they do. Uh, divisional game on the road. Uh, the Flames. I'm a little worried, you know, first game back after a long road trip. They have not been particularly good at home, I know, because I've been to, like, basically every game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting one tomorrow night. Um, are you uh, Are you going to watch that one? Are you heading down to the Dome? I might. I don't have, I don't have tickets yet, but I have, a, I have a buddy who's sending feelers, so I, I, I might be there. We'll, we'll see. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw the, be... the Flames are minus 120 favorites, which kind of surprises me, you know, a 5-8 and eight team up against the... What are they, 10 and 2? Nine and 5, probably, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even better than that. Uh, it was weird because they were favored against the Habs yesterday, too. And again, I'm like, man, uh, is Julian setting the book? Like, <laughs> have they not watched a second of fucking Flames hockey? Like, anyway, they're terrible. But I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. The last thing I wanted to kind of run by you before this, uh, before we get out of here is in the wake of this road trip and you know the they they finished three one and one in their last five, which is good, but still a lot of work to do at five eight and two. And with all the stuff, all the noise that's coming out between the Zadorov trade request, Darren Dreger breaking something that said, you know, Kadri is not into a rebuild. He came here to contend, and if they do decide to go to rebuild mode, um, he's a guy who wants out. There's all the stuff linking Chris Tanev back to Vancouver. Noah and Elias at, at different points have said. You know, we're not interested in re-signing, you know, for better or worse. You know, in hindsight, it might look like that shouldn't have been the case at all uh, based off Elias's recent run of play, but we won't get into that. Mm-hmm. It seems kind of inevitable that this roster is going to do some sort of insert reword here, whether it be a reshuffle, a retool, a rebuild, a reload. Um, so I'm curious what does that look like for you? What do you think are the pieces worth keeping? Who are the dudes that you're looking to move? And, you know, where does a retool start and a rebuild begin? Like for me, rebuild is like, that's the nuclear option. That means like you are starting from zero. That means front office is gone. Coach is gone. Most of your veterans are gone. You're just stockpiling. You're doing the sharks thing. You're trying to score 18 goals over 15 games because you want to be that bad. You want to maximize your opportunity at drafting high, and you want to win from within five, six, seven, eight years down the road. Mm. Or is it like a retool where it's like you're going to move Hannafin for like a player and a prospect? You're going to move Zadorov for a player and a prospect. Um, you're going to move whatever Tanev for a player and a prospect, and you're going to get some new personnel, and you're going to give it one more run with kind of a few core pieces remaining. Um, so again, just curious, what do you think is worth keeping? Where do you draw that line? Do you think it needs to go down to the studs or do you think that there's some things worth salvaging on this team as currently constructed? I think between your definition of a retool and rebuild, probably somewhere in between. Not, not that like there's going to be any front office or, 
where coaching changes. I feel like they did that. I think Conroy probably knew it was headed this way too when he took the job, and he he, he probably wants to do it. Um, I feel like that would be a you know a good endeavor as a new GM to try and you know rebuild your team. Um, I, I think he had hoped that the team would be good, um, but I think he certainly knew this was this outcome was was a possibility. Um, but in terms of roster, I think they'll they'll probably trade out everyone in the next year or two who. A, like you said, is wanting out probably every single name you said, um, or B, is a free agent in the next year, which is quite a significant amount of guys. Um, I think certain guys they'll they'll be stuck with. Um, like, yeah, I, I saw Drager's report too, but I don't think any team is really biting on would would offer anything at all for Kadri at this point. Um, Man, he's I playing think, good, and he's playing good. But he, but just at his age and with how many years he has left, um, I think that that might be a tough sell. I think. Certainly, Huberdo. Nobody would want to touch nobody that. Nobody wants and, him. And um, and and even Uyghur, I think, just because of his age and how many years he has left, I'm not sure there's going there would be too many takers on. So those new guys, I think, are probably going to stick around. But I wouldn't say any of them are, you know, dragging you out of the floor. <laughs> like they're not real game changers. I would I would say at this point. Um, we I think Uyghur's totally. been Uyghur's been fine. I think he's been a good top four. But I, I don't necessarily you're think you're loving that contract right now. Um, in, Dude, in I, I of, actually like. Sorry, oh, you do. Sorry to okay. interrupt. I was just saying, yeah, I I, I like Weir's deal. Okay. I even like the Codre deal. Like I, for my money, in the last whatever 365 days, going back to last year at this time, like Codre has probably been their most productive forward, not named Tyler Toffoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tyler Toffoli isn't here anymore, so it's him. Uh, he was the representative of the All Star game to start the year. You know, you want to talk PDO, you want to talk fancy stats. Uh. He's been their leader in high danger chances, shots, like everything. They just weren't going in for him. Uh, and now they are. And Connor Zeri and Marty Pospisil probably have a role in that. But the fact of the matter is Kadri's playing good. Um, so while his deal is probably a little pricey, a little rich for some people's blood, I'm actually okay with it, especially when you take in the context of if you do decide to ship a bunch of people out, which it's certainly trending in that direction. You still need to get to the floor. So mm-hmm. having your, you know, your second highest paid player be your most productive forward is probably okay. Um, at least from my vantage point. Okay. Yeah, totally fair. I, I don't think I'm quite there with you with Kadri, but yeah, he hasn't been horrible. He hasn't been what, what Huberto has been. He, especially of late, like you said, he's, he's playing better hockey. So yeah. And I, I think there's definitely room in that contract for him to, to prove it to us um, in, in terms of what's worth keeping and what should we keep around? Maybe I'll ask your question with a question. Like, is there anybody else on that roster that you wouldn't trade for a first round pick right now or, or a second round pick? Like, I don't think there's many guys um, like maybe, maybe Zari Pelche, those guys. I, I don't know. If oh, I trade those guys for a first. I trade those, those guys, guys for a first for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, enough. maybe Coronado for me, it's keep. like, um, yeah, Coronado, you yeah. maybe keep, Honestly, yeah. Connor Zaire is playing really good. I'd probably keep him too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob Pelche, I haven't seen enough. So if somebody offers me another lottery ticket for my lottery ticket, mm-hmm. I'm I might consider it. Yeah. Um, I it, it's it's interesting that you bring up like the dudes that are going to be free agents because even beyond this year, like I think Rasmus is up for a new deal in two years, and Rasmus Anderson is a guy I would like to keep. I like Rasmus mm-hmm. Anderson a I lot. Yeah. Uh, and actually. You know, I, I like Weeks too. Like I, I, I like the Weeger. I mean, is he getting paid a little bit too much? Yeah, but you use him all the time, so 
that's fine. Um, and I love his versatility. You love a guy that can play left and right. So yeah. he'll always be useful for you. So I, I wouldn't even necessarily look at trading Weegzy. I like Rasmus. I mean, Michael Backlund, you're kind of stuck with, but he's also a dude that's been like, I want to play for a contender. So if yeah. you end up tearing it down, he might be a guy that's like, here's your C-back. Um, I think you do a Blake Coleman. Wants, yeah. yeah, like if he yeah. wants to go, give him a shot. He, totally. He, he knows he's only got a couple years left, and I think he deserves that. So. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And then Blake, I think, will probably want to go. Mange will probably want to go. Um, and then that's like your whole team, right? If like exactly. Coleman's gone, that's, Mange that's is gone, Lindholm's yeah. gone, right? Like that's that's pretty much everybody. So I would say to answer your question of my question with another question, uh, I would keep Uyghur, I would keep Anderson, I would keep Michael if he wanted to stick around. I would keep I would even keep Naz, unless you get like something nice, like I mean, we'll see how the rest of the year goes, but like he's producing, he's playing well, and you need to hit the floor. So yeah. uh, that's like not the worst scenarios if you keep Kadri around, but it also sounds like he doesn't want to stick around if you are going to tear it down. Um, yeah. Cody, I wonder if, uh, if you're interested in uh, chiming in here. I know that our group chat has very much been vocal of, we don't have it in us to sit through a six, seven year rebuild. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone on record as saying one way or the other, but at this point, would you welcome a to the studs or would you be looking to see more of a retool on the fly kind of deal? Well, I think you said it in another episode. I think it was in Mitch's episode before, but like, I think in terms of the way that the, that I've seen this fan base looking at a rebuild, they're looking at it through rose colored glasses for sure. They're looking at, you know, a, not and another another dollar in the Oilers jar, but they're looking at there an Oilers go. an Oilers rebuild, you know, like mm-hmm. where you're getting the first overall pick for what five are they, four or five years, years? yeah, and then get you know stuff and it just it working out like that where they're not seeing the other teams that have been rebuilding for decades now. Look at Buffalo, man. Look at Montreal. Just, yeah, they were just what I was going to bring up. But like Buffalo has not been good for a long, long time. No, man. And so I, I would like to see a change of some sort. Um, I just don't know what that change needs to be. And that is why I'm sitting behind this camera and not in the GM's <laughs> office of the Calgary Flames. That's right. That's a good point. And I, I think... Um... Like when people tell me that they want to rebuild, I think what I actually hear is that you want high end talent, right? Like you don't want you don't want to lose for five fucking years. We can't stand losing for a month and a half, right? As fans, like think about how fucking treacherous it's been right now. People are already not going to the arena. It's been a month and a half, right? Um, and us fans are fickle. Like we're going to have one, two, three, maybe high draft picks. And then by year four, we're going to be like, okay, show me the wins we've rebuilt. And unfortunately that's not how it fucking works. Like the Oilers have, dude, the Oilers have won a lottery five times, five. And they're worse than us. (laughs) Think about that. Think about that. We're going to have to win five times to be worse than we are right now. No, thank you. I'm 30. Well, to your, I need to you to start point, winning yesterday. To your point, too, like 
people already aren't showing up to the games and you can get you can get in the door for seven dollars absolutely we're building a brand new arena that's going to be a hundred dollars plus to get in the door and at least you, you think a losing team is going to draw people in with that high of a price jump just mm-hmm. to like take in the sites of the new arena no totally yep absolutely and and so anyway uh thank you cody you can you can hop back back there whatever you want um but yeah i i think i hate to keep bringing up the rebuild versus retool but like it's clear as day that this roster as currently constructed just doesn't really work some guys have to get moved Mm -hmm. out some guys have to get moved in i think it's you know how drastic do you want to be with that difference and for me like i find it very it's kind of it I'm going to remember this iteration of the flames as like, how did it not work? Because there's so many pieces. Like if you look at all the trade fucking articles that are coming out, there are flames up and down because they're all good hockey players in a vacuum. It's just as, as a team, it's just not working. So like, I'll always look at this team as like missed potential uh, because we all, we thought the pieces were there, but clearly for whatever reason, it's just not working. And so if you can maximize what comes back in for those good players, I think you could realistically go back to being competitive, whatever that looks like for you, um, sooner rather than later. And, you know, you brought it up earlier. If you have a good coach, you have a good goalie, and you get in the playoffs, who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? The Florida Panthers had less points than the Flames and went to the cup final. The Montreal Canadiens... That year that they went to the cup final, the fucking bubble cup, they had less points than the Calgary Flames. Uh or or no, they had they made it on like regulation overtime loss, some other bullshit where they like hopped in over us and they went to the cup final. And I know that's not a recipe conducive to success, but it's all a crapshoot. So I feel like I'm talking myself into the whole like, you just gotta get in and yeah. see what happens. Because the alternative is you toil in obscurity for 10 years plus maybe i don't know um but i think what fans are, are wanting is just you know younger talent on the roster younger talent in the farm system which which we don't have a lot of um mm-hmm. and i think you could probably look at 25 other teams that you know you could point to a couple guys under 25 that you say okay those are going to be you know big pieces for them in the next five years the flames don't really have anyone like that like i agree i have like zari i have like pelche i have like cornado but i don't know you know any of those guys for sure are going to be that guy um so i think like well like yeah yeah i i I don't think a rebuild goes exactly like you get a mcdavid if you tank this year and trade all your guys this year and you're good um but i think if you can give yourself you know another couple shots at it um probably next june is kind of all fans are probably hoping for now (laughs) Yeah, I mean the fans might get what they wish. Uh, you know, it's a it might be a careful what you wish for type of deal. On my end too, right? Like if they end up doing the retool and it's just more of this in perpetuity, it's like okay, uh, that kind of sucks too. So, anyways, nice uh, positive note to end the show on. Just twenty five <laughs> more years of fucking ninth place in the West. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Thomas, you have any closing statements? Anything you want to plug? Um, anything you want to say before you get out of here? Um, you can follow Big T in the Kitchen on TikTok. That's where I do my my food TikToks. Um, but that's that's all I have to plug. And um, no, I just want to say thanks for having me on. It was uh, it was an honor, and uh, 
I'd like to come on another time. Hopefully when we do have, have some, some hope for the future. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I actually didn't know you did that. I, I totally blanked on making you do an introduction and, uh, and say a little bit about yourself to everybody on the, on the show, but I'm that's totally cool. Kidding. I know nobody, you didn't cook TikToks. follow me on TikTok. <laughs> I'm totally okay. It's not good. Okay. All right. Well, I took the bait. I'll get this giant hook out of my mouth and get out of here. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for Cody, for Thomas. I'm Joe. This has been Senior Editor.